Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm the senior pastor here, John Schmidt. And uh, in my hand, I hold a missions brochure out in the lobby. You'll find some brochures just like this with a big table with a big sign that says missions on it. We'd love for you to go. My wife and I are going to South Africa, and we're going to be part of a camp where I talked to a, a missionary there in South Africa this last week via Skype. And he's excited about us coming. He's got a wants to bring 100 kids who've never heard the gospel before. And he said, can you get a group of people that can come and help us run the camp and set it up and run the games and things that I'd love to. I talked to another family. They went on that Mexico mission trip last year, and they absolutely loved it. And they're bringing their whole family back, plus another family. So if you got information, get signed up. There's lots of great trips. Missions are a big part of what we do. We are so glad that you are here today for the next installment, the second installment in our series entitled Love, Dating, Marriage, and Sex. We talked about love last week. This week, we're talking about dating. You can figure out what comes next, okay? Uh, I will say regarding that last topic that uh, two weeks from today, that'll be a PG-13 service. We're going to go right at it. We're going to talk about what the Bible has to say uh, regarding our sexuality. I was, uh, somebody talked to me this last week, and they said, well, I don't think it's appropriate for us to talk about that at church. And I said, really? Why don't we talk about it at bars or in the locker room, right? I mean, that's where we should talk about it? Come on now. The Bible has a lot to say on all four of these topics, and today, in fact, today you will find uh, in this message that my message today is entitled Dating. There's an outline inside your bulletin, and we're gonna, uh, I'm going to share with you seven principles uh, that come from Scripture regarding dating. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks or take some notes, just raise your hand. If you didn't grab a pen on the way in, our ushers will be glad to pass one to you if you raise your hand on that. And I just want to share this also, that sometimes I'm approached by people and say, well, you know, look, uh, John, no matter what you say, you know, I don't think the Bible has much to say about it because in Bible times, the people had arranged marriages. They didn't date the way we do now. And the word dating isn't even in the Bible. And I go, that's correct. The word arson isn't in the Bible either. I don't think that the Bible would say it's okay to go burn your neighbor's house down, okay? It's not in the Bible. And just because the word dating isn't in the Bible doesn't mean that the principles that apply to dating aren't. Computers weren't invented in the day of the Bible either. But there are many principles that apply to how we use computers. I think we can all understand that. And so today, even though dating per se isn't, there's no chapter on dating. You can't go to First Hesitations 5 or anything like that and find out about <laughs> dating. Okay, what you can find is you can find principles that will guide us. And I want to share seven of those with you today. These are time-tested. They're true. And you will see the validity of this as we go through. This is good teaching from God's Word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to talk about dating. Lord, uh, this is a big part of our lives here in our culture. And Father, I just pray that today you will speak, you'll move me out of the way. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And uh, it matters how we practice our faith in dating. So give us some insight, Lord. Show us where we're doing things well and give us some insight on some things that we probably need to change. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Seven principles. First one is this. Being single is good. The Bible actually says this about, being, about singleness. And this is something in our culture, and it doesn't matter whether you're 16 and cried yourself to sleep last night because you didn't have a date and everybody else in the whole world was out dating except for you, or whether you're 49 and you're single or single again and cried yourself to sleep last night because everybody in the whole world was out dating except for you. There is a lot of pressure in our culture to say that if you are at home on a Saturday night, something's wrong with you. You're defective. Unless you're in a dating relationship, you're broken. You're busted. It's not true. Here's what Paul wrote about this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. It's a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some. And would you underline gift of the single life? God gives this. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. He goes on in that chapter and he says because he was single, he can spend more time devoted to God and devoted to carrying out God's work. Well, that only makes sense. And so I want to start out right now with this first point that if you are at a season in your life where you are single, that's not a bad thing. And you don't have to grieve it and act like there's something horribly wrong with you. This may be the best time in your life to spend additional time in God's word, to spend time serving God and maybe to take a mission trip and see where God's leading you in your life, to explore options you could never explore if you're in a committed relationship. And so take advantage of that. More time for prayer. Um, most of us a lot more money. Anyway, the whole idea, uh, you get the idea that there's an opportunity to take advantage of th- some things here. So first of all, the first principle, before we even talk about dating, I just want to tell you that being single isn't a bad thing in the Bible. Paul says it's good. It might be the best thing ever. Secondly, you and I need to value character more than beauty. And this is a principle from the Bible The Bible teaches us over and over again that character, what's on the inside, is more important than what's on the outside. And y'all, we need to hear this in the days in which we live. People are so superficial, it's unbelievable. We spend fortunes on makeup and hairstyles and jewelry and clothing and plastic surgery. And the whole time, we can be horrible in our character. Proverbs 11.22, a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. I mean, that's Bible. That's wisdom from the wisest man in the world, from Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. He said, you know what? And a modern-day equivalent would be, that's just putting lipstick on a pig. You can have a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, a, a, an athlete who is absolutely ripped, or a woman who is drop-dead gorgeous, and you think, wow, this is a beautiful woman. And then You see her in action relating to others, or you meet this guy and you hear the wicked and foul words that come out of his mouth, and you go, ooh. And so we can find top athletes and top models and all these things, and they can't stay in a relationship at all. But they're gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous. Why would they have a problem in a relationship? Well, it's not the outward appearance, it's the character or lack thereof. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. And if you'd underline, beauty does not last. Those of us who are getting older, we are aware of this a little more every day. Okay? Beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Again, I mean, we can do miracles with plastic surgery these days. Although some of the people we see with plastic surgery go, wow, you need to get your money back. That really didn't work. Okay? (laughs) And we all know celebrities like that. You go, wow. Hmm. They looked better before. And we try to repeal the clock and other things like this, but the truth is beauty doesn't last. And if you marry people only for their outward appearance, what are you going to do 20 years from now, 30 years from now? And who of us wants to be kicked to the curb just because we got older? Well, then we better focus on something more than the outward appearance because that's guaranteed to change. Guaranteed for all of us. 
However, when the Bible talks about character, here's what it says on the flip side. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You'll notice that list does not include the word hotness. The Holy Spirit produces hotness in our lives. The closer you get to God, man, you get smoking hot. No, because the part of us that's going to go on to heaven, our soul, embodies these things. It's not about our outward appearance. So why do we make dating all about outward appearance? I'm standing firm on this. This is a biblical principle. The same way as singleness isn't a bad thing, it's a good thing. And we need to hear this in our culture because our culture is completely obsessed with the opposite. And here's a life application out of this too. In dating, specifically for dating, you and I must become, if you're in a dating relationship, you or I are in a dating relationship, we must become the type of people we wish to date. I mean, follow the logic here. If I want to date a runner, I probably need to start running. If I want to date an artist, I probably need to start painting. If I want to date a godly Christian, I need to go to Dark Horse Tavern on two for night because that's where she's going to be. <laughs> what? Well, then why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why do we go look for godly people at sinful places? And if we frequent sinful places, why would we expect that godly people would want anything to do with us? I mean, why? And yet you'll see tons of Christians completely out of whack in this whole area. They say they want somebody to bring home to mom, and yet they date somebody that mom would never approve of. Or... They live a lifestyle that if they did meet somebody that they'd want to bring home to mom, they wouldn't even go out with them. Eugene Peterson, in his Amplified Translation of the Bible, this is how he translated the golden rule, Jesus in 7.12. Listen to this. This is wonderful. Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. You add up all of God's laws and the prophets, and this is what you get. I mean, in the golden rule, that's how it applies to dating. Hey, you want to date a person of godly character? Well, become a person of godly character. You want people to treat you with kindness? Treat other people with kindness. You want people to respect you for who you are? Respect other people for who they are. That applies to dating. My goodness, does it ever apply to dating. That's why we trust God's word. These are principles and like I said, and you can find all kinds of people that are trying to sell us the newest curling iron or the newest wrinkle cream or whatever, and they'll tell you it's all about the look. The Bible will say, no, it's all about the heart. It's all about the character. And that's where we need to put our emphasis. Being single is good. We must value character more than beauty. Here's a third principle that, from God's word that applies to dating. Christians should only date Christians. I mean, this is just an amplification, really, on the character thing. It's a refinement. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what a righteousness and wickedness have in common? A yoke was a wooden beam strapped across the necks of two animals, two oxen, two donkeys, pulling a cart so they could pull and share the load together. So don't strap yourself together with an unbeliever pulling the load for your family or for life. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
Belial's another name for the devil. And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And now think about this. If I say, man, I can't wait to come to church. I love to sing the songs. Just my heart just feels like it's going to explode sometimes. I want to tell God how much I love him. And then I'm in a dating relationship with someone who doesn't love God at all. This is the deepest, most joyous part of my life, but I'm not going to share it with you. And over and over again, it gets much worse than that. It's not just not sharing that part. It's that I meet Christians, people who are committed Christians. They've been in church. They know the Bible, these things. They get in a relationship with a non-believer who's hot, drop-dead gorgeous, really wealthy, great car, great job. All of a sudden, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a while. Yeah, we're working on that. We're working on that by going to bars, going out of town, never going to church. That's how we're working on that. I mean, this is a problem that happened to Solomon. King Solomon loved many foreign women. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. That's Old Testament, 1 Kings. Here's 1 Corinthians. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this. It wasn't that long ago, um, seen this to be true. Wasn't that long ago, a couple came in for premarital counseling and um, you know, they wanted to get married. The gal, a strong believer in other things. And this guy, you know, he didn't want anything to do with the Bible, didn't even want to come to meet me and just saw no need for it. He said, look, no offense, but I don't think church is useless. Wow. So I'm not going to be doing your wedding because it would be useless. And um, afterward, the woman came back and said, well, John, I want you to know, I mean, I know he's not a believer now, but you know, I'm praying every day, and you know, I'm, I'm going to convert him. I said, oh, okay, well, that changes things. Let's, let's meet again. So I brought him in, and we sat down, and I said, do you know that she's praying to convert you every day? And she goes, I, I can't believe you told him that. I go, well, when were you going to tell him? What, 10 years in? And what would you do if he had come to me secretly and said, hey, John, I want you to know I'm going to convert her away from this stupid Christianity. What would you do? That's okay to have a secret? Come now. I mean, relationship is about transparency and honesty. And why on earth would we pair ourselves with people whom we can't be honest about the deepest, most joyous part of our lives? Christ forgives sin. Christ gives us eternal life. Christ pulls us through the hard times and gives us hope when, no, when all else fails. I don't want to share that with a person that I love the most on this earth. Well, of course I do, and so do you. That's why Christians only need to date Christians. And if we compromise on that area, I guarantee you there will be heartache somewhere down the road. Major heartache. And also we have a note here that believing in God is not the same as having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not the same. I hear this a lot too. Hey, John, I want you to meet this person I'm dating. We're getting pretty serious. Good. Well, is she a believer? It's like, no, but she believes in God. So then I have him read this verse, James 2.19. You say you have faith. You say you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. 
child. I mean, she's not exactly a Christian. I mean, she doesn't go to church. She doesn't read her Bible, doesn't pray. I mean, doesn't actually believe there's a real heaven or hell, but she believes in God. Hmm. The devil believes in God. I would not approve of you dating the devil. The devil's not an atheist. He believes in God, just hates him. And do not fall for this and say, well, it's okay. They, believe in, they say they believe in God, whatever God might be to them. They don't read the Bible. It's dangerous, y'all. I want to tell you, these are principles that apply to dating. In our culture today, we are being told all these things. Oh, no, 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 no. You just date whoever you want. It all is the same. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. God's word is truth, and it's very important that we practice this. A personal relationship with Christ matters. Point four, another principle that applies to you and me is this. Sexual purity is always God's will for us. And again, I know we've got kids in here, so we're going to keep this at a, an appropriate level. But it's important that we understand this. And we'll talk about this in much greater depth a couple of weeks from today. But I want you to understand how this applies to dating. Listen to these scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. And if you don't align, who do not know God. I mean, this is why we want to date Christians. If I'm going to try to be pure in the relationship, if I'm dating a non-believer who doesn't agree with this, it's like, what is the problem here? Because they're not going to see things from God's perspective. Don't want to. But you and I, we're trying to live a godly life here. And so sexual purity is always God's will for us. Here's another scripture. I'm not, this isn't a stretch. 2 Timothy 2.22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Here's the dating part. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. See, if I'm enjoying the companionship of someone who has a pure heart, and they're enjoying that companionship with me, when I grew closer to the Lord and Debbie grew closer to the Lord, then God would naturally draw us closer to each other. But if I'm growing closer to God and the person I'm dating is not, well, we're getting farther apart. I mean, even if they stay at the same place, and here's where you are right now, if you're growing, if you're involved in this church, we want you to grow. We don't want you to stay at the same place 10 years from now. And if the other person is not growing, even by that stretch, you're going here, but that's not the way it works. It goes the other way. And it's important for us to understand this. And so... We need to be with people with pure hearts on this. Now, the next section on your outline, I'm often asked by couples who come to see me about things, and I challenge them, um, or if we're premarital, we certainly cover this in our premarital counseling. And they say, well, give me one good reason to wait until marriage. So here are seven. <laughs> here are seven. I mean, you see if I'm stretching. I'm not, I'm not even stretching this. I'm just going to lay these out there, just take them for what they're worth. First of all, our thinking will not be clouded. We can evaluate our relationship more objectively. How can you relate, evaluate your relationship more objectively, with or without this? Well, 
Look, there are dimensions of the relationship that are so important to consider. If you're going to marry somebody or have a serious dating relationship, what do they think about finances and how do they manage money? How do they handle conflict? Are they a screamer, a yeller, and throw things, or are they mature in this area? Where are they? Hey, what does their family think about you, and what do you think about their family, and what does your family think about him or her? What are we going to do about church and religion? I mean, that's kind of important. Where are we going to live? What kind of career are we going to have? And do we have similar goals financially about how much we want to make? How many kids do we want to have? And when do we want to start a family? What do we believe about politics? I can go on with more. Oh, yeah, but there's this sexuality one. Let's focus all on that, and the rest of these will take care of themselves. What? Seriously? And you would not, you'd be amazed at how many people live this way. I mean, I don't think you would. If you read People magazine, half the people in there apparently live that way. I mean, just in and out of relationships, in and out of marriages. Oh, man, they're beautiful. And they don't value purity at all. But then all of a sudden they get together and go, oh, I couldn't stand him because of this, 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 and this. It's like, well, why did you think you'd be able to hold together? It's because they only had one area that trumped all the others. Secondly, our relationship will not be based on performance. And we prove that we value each other as people, not objects. Now I put that in there. Those two kind of go together under the heading of the test drive. I'm often quoted this, hey, wouldn't buy a used car without taking it for a test drive. Good. Me neither. I'm not going to drive a car with more than 150,000 miles on it when I trade it in, when you're trading her in. How many miles does he get before you trade him in? You took him for a test drive when you're trading him in. The old gray mare ain't what she used to be when you get in the new model. Tell her up front, hey, we're going for a test drive, and when you no longer perform... I'm trading you in. Just be honest. Or maybe we don't like that, do we? And maybe that isn't the way we want relationships to work. And maybe I can make a commitment to you for the rest of my life without a test drive if I'm never going to trade you in anyway. I mean, if I'm committed for better, for worse, for richer, or poor till the day we die, why do I need a test drive? doesn't matter what comes. I told you the Bible had something to say about dating. We'll be protected from heartache, unexpected pregnancy, disease, guilt, and shame. The Bible's all about protection. These commandments aren't to harm us. They're to help us. And my goodness, we are deluding ourselves if we think that in our culture today, we have overcome heartache, disease, unexpected pregnancy, guilt, and shame. Yeah, those aren't problems anymore. Yeah, back in Bible times, they had to obey those things, but we've overcome all those things. Then why are there soap operas and country music? Okay, all right, that's just it. I mean, (laughs) come on. (laughs) We develop the godly qualities of patience and self-control. And we build trust that we'll be able to resist sexual temptations after marriage. Hey, you can trust me. I'll never stray from you. Well, yeah, I compromised my convictions before we were married, but I'll never compromise my convictions after we're married. Trust me. No, I know I didn't demonstrate patience and fidelity before we were married, but after we're married, oh, you bet I will. Then why can't you demonstrate it now? 
and we'll have God's blessing. God honors those who honor him. He'll bless us when we seek to do his will. He will. He will bless you and me. Fifth principle regarding dating. Parents play an important role in the dating practices of their children. I want to say something for parents here. We do. A, as parents, we must teach godly dating principles to our kids. I mean, we need to teach the things we talked about here. We need to teach that character is more important than beauty, that Christians need to date only Christians. We can help with curfews. We can help with talking to them about the choices they make when they're young and pray for them as they get older, encourage them. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't turn from it. I realize that's a, that's a proverb, not a promise, and we can all think of kids who receive good instruction. They still did stupid things. You don't have to raise your hand with me on that one, okay? But the point is, is that, but in general, it's true. I mean, if I train my kids, they stand a much better chance of doing what's right than if I don't. Listen, my child, to what your father teaches you. Don't neglect your mother's teaching. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and clothe you with honor. That's my big desire for my kids. I hope it's your desire for yours if you're a parent. If you're a child, I hope you understand that's the heart of parents helping you with dating. I don't want you to have heartache. I don't want an unexpected pregnancy that would shoulder you with burdens you're not ready to carry. I don't want my kids to experience disease or pain. I don't want them to be treated like a used car on a test drive and then traded in. I don't want that. Neither does God. I need to teach my kids godly dating principles. My wife and I need to model godly dating practices. Song of Solomon 2.4, he escorts me to the banquet hall and it's obvious how much he loves me. I mean, our kids need to see us day. This is a, for all married couples, by the way, we need to keep dating after we get married. It's a great way to help affair-proof your marriage, by the way, if there's still some romance going on 20 years later. I mean, this, that's what's happening here. The wife is talking about her husband. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. And helping my wife out of the car instead of walking in going, what, your arm broken? Open the door. My kids need to see that. I remember you know, going out with my wife. and The kids were small. and We're going to a restaurant. We told them where we're going. They go, can we go with you? We go, no. They go, why not? And I go, well, because my wife and I were dating long before you ever thought of, and we're going to be dating after you leave. And that is the plan, by the way, after you graduate. We're going to help you go to college and help you get a job, and then you will leave, and then we will continue dating. That's another subject, and I'm going to move on. Okay, anyway. But parents, this is, we play an important role in this. I mean, these are biblical principles. I mean, tell me if I'm stretching it on any of these things. I'm just not. God is so good to give us his word. Here's a sixth one. If we confess our sins, then Jesus will forgive. Jesus will forgive our sins and restore us. He'll remember them no more. If we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Look, I'd say this about dating because many of us have done foolish things in dating. We have compromised our convictions. We have committed sin in the past and we go, oh, it's too late for me. I mean, I've had this conversation so many times too. They go, well, you know, I'm in this relationship now. It's too late for me. (laughs) Really? I mean, can you imagine me saying that to an alcoholic? 
Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I, I have a drinking problem. How old are you? 53. Ah, it's too late for you. Just, just get another bottle. What? I mean, who's going to say that? Nobody will. You go, look, with whatever time we have left, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. Hey, have you been in a dating relationships before that have been wrong? And yeah, I mean, all these things you've dated just for beauty, you've compromised purity, you've dated lots of non-Christians, you've had all kinds of wrong thinking in your dating in the past. It's a great time to repent. Best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Next best time is today. Best time to get right with Jesus is 20 years ago. Next best time is right now. And here's the good news. You, you and I can come to him any day, all our sins, and he'll forgive them all. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross with his arms out wide. Come to Jesus. Commit your dating life to him. Stop sinning. Go the right way. Sin no more. That's the good news of Christ. He loves us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And we can always start again with him. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. It's great news. One more. Point seven. A biblical principle that applies to dating. And some of you need to hear this this morning. God cares about every detail of our lives. Some of you came here this morning and just this last week, you've said to yourself, God doesn't care about me. I've been trying to honor him. I've been patiently waiting for him. And God's forgotten me. Hang in there. First Peter 5, 7, Peter said, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Psalm 37, David said, Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And if you don't underline that, he delights in every detail of our lives. That includes our dating. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily on his path. He will honor you. If you've been seeking the Lord's will on this and he hasn't answered prayers for you yet, if you've been experiencing loneliness and fear that you will never find someone to date, someone who will love you for who you are, keep praying. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust him. Follow him. He'll show you what to do. He cares for you. So I want to close this message today by just kind of guiding us through a prayer time. And if you just put your notes down and other things, we're just going to spend a couple of minutes in prayer. The idea behind the prayer is simply this. I want God to guide us. Some of us, we need to repent. Some of us need to say, God, give me courage and help me stick with doing the right thing. Some of us, we're going, I'm glad I came, not for me, but I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for my mom. I'm praying for my cousin, my coworker. Pray for them. There's not a one of us that this message couldn't touch either us or someone we love terribly deeply. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord God, I thank you for the Bible, and I thank you for the truth contained within its pages. I thank you that these words were faithfully recorded after you inspired people to write them. And, oh, God, I pray that we would open our hearts to what you want to teach us today. First of all, Lord, I just want, uh, I want to pray with people who are here today who need to repent. They have compromised things that they know are true. They have dated people only because of outward beauty. They've compromised in the area of purity or they've compromised in the area of character. They've settled for something you never told them to settle for. If God spoke to you about one of those things this morning, would you just pray with me right now and say, oh God, please forgive me. 
God, I don't know why I didn't trust you. I don't know why I was so foolish. I knew it was wrong while I was doing it. God, my conscience is sore, and I ask you to forgive me and wipe, me, wipe my conscience clean. Make me white as snow, Lord, and give me a new start. Maybe you want to pray that for somebody else. Your brother, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, somebody who's far from God, and they're hurting right now. Would you pray for them that God would touch their heart, maybe through you? That they would find forgiveness and restoration? Pray for them now. Pray for them by name, just silently. God knows. God can hear your prayers. God, there are also others here this morning. They have been clinging to you, white-knuckled, Lord, reading their Bibles and praying every day, Lord, that you'd lead them into a, a wonderful relationship. They're lonely, and they would love to have a companion in this world, and they just can't find a godly woman or a godly man to date. And, oh, God, I pray that you would encourage them now that they would know that they know that they know in their heart that you've heard their prayers, that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding, and they would not be afraid. If that's you this morning, would you pray, oh God, give me the courage to remain faithful. God, the Bible says you care for me, but sometimes, Lord, I don't know if you're listening because it's hard. Please hear my prayers. I need help, Lord Jesus. Please help me. Would you pray now for a relative or a friend? whom you know whose heart is aching for a soulmate, a godly soulmate, would you pray for them by name, just right where you are, and say, God, guide them. Please help them not give up. Give them courage, Jesus. Oh, gracious God, we thank you that you made us for relationships. And oh, God, we just ask that you would guide us and that we would trust you more, that we would listen to your word and obey what it says, that we'd keep a short account with you, Lord, and when we go wrong, we confess our sins and get back on the right path as soon as possible. Give us direction and wisdom, Lord. Remind us to pray for ourselves and those we love. We thank you for Jesus. In his strong name we pray together. Amen.